You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 3, we've gone the introduction, chapter 1, chapter 2, and we are in chapter 3. And, I, you know, chapter 1, 2, and 3 are just kind of, they're, they they kind of remind me of a boxing match where he just goes, 1, 2, 1, 2, boom. And 3 is where he really comes in uh, very strong. And uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're the, the focus is Jesus. The focus is faithfulness. The focus is not shrinking back. We already went through one of the warnings. Remember the five traditional warnings? Uh, chapter two that was the first one about wanting to pay attention. And in chapter three, we're going to hit the second one. Um, but let's go ahead and jump on in. It's just rich. So without further ado, chapter three, verse one, therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Okay, right. Boom. Right from the start. Uh, holy brothers and sisters. Okay. Holy typically is applied to things of God. And here he's calling the brothers and the sisters, holy, that we have been set apart. Holy typically is only applied to the people of Israel. Now it's applied to the people of Jesus, right? We are the new Israel, the new nation, the new people of God. And and that's a big thing. I mean, we read it without even thinking twice about it. But the fact that we are called the holy brothers and sisters, and remember, hajiaso, the, the word holy means to be set apart, to be set for a specific purpose, and in this case, in the context of the scriptures, to be set apart for service to God. And that's us. We are set apart for service to God. I am here to serve God. You are here to serve God. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, the call that we have received from heaven, the call that God has sent us, the call that Jesus gave us and then went to heaven. He said, who share the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. You know, this is one of the great charges in the in, in the book of Hebrews, in the Bible in general. I mean, later down the road in chapter 12, we'll get, our, we'll get the call to fix our eyes on Jesus. But right now it's fix our thoughts on Jesus. What does that mean? To really be able to focus our minds and focus our lives, really, because we are what we think, right? As a man thinks, so is he. We 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 do what we think. And really what we think about sets our emotions in many, many ways. Uh, we think about bad things, we get angry, we get discouraged, we get down. We think about good things, we get up, we get upbeat. We think about what is good and right, it helps us to do well. We think about what about what is bad, what is evil, what is tempting, it brings us down. So he says, set or fix your thoughts on Jesus. How incredibly important that is. I think, honestly, particularly nowadays where we are so distracted and we have so many things that are calling our attention and distracting us. And I mean, you know, it's it's like, I know, like even to have a quiet time in the morning, I, I gotta close my laptop. I've gotta have my phone away because I can hear my phone beeping and chirping and buzzing and doing things. And it's so tempting to want to go look. Who called me? Who texted me? What what news bulletin arrived? What what you know warning or whatever I'm being sent? 
And so I have to have all that stuff away so that I can focus on God. It's become incredibly hard to be focused. And I think, you know, at first, I've, I've, in the last couple of years, I've begun to learn a lot about, about, uh, being mindful, being meditative, being contemplative. And these are things that I've been studying, things I've been learning in the program, the MDiv, the, the doctorate in ministry that I'm getting. And I'm realizing that it's really a huge battle. It is not easy. And I understand why these guys climb the top of a mountain to get away and focus because there's just so many distractions. There's so many things. And it's if it's not your phone or your computer, even in our minds, there's so many things just swirling around that it really takes practice. It takes a good setting. It takes it, 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 it's an exercise. It's, you know, hence it's called a spiritual discipline to be able to just focus your mind on Jesus, to focus your mind on God, to put all the things aside and just purely seeing. I mean, this is really what purity is. Purity is to be able to be single minded, to be able to think about just one thing and not have it polluted by a bunch of other thoughts and fears and worries and stresses. You ever have one of those times where you're trying to pray? And you just keep drifting off to something that's bothering you, something that's worrying you, or you got a conflict with somebody, or you got in, uh, you know, you got in a, in, a, in a tiff with your wife or one of your kids or something, and, and you just can't focus. So it it really is it's it's a spiritual discipline, it's it's an act of faith, um, and it's incredibly important because so much of our lives determined is determined by it, and and it's what God calls us to. I heard a, a famous sermon one time a classic sermon by Mike Talford. And he was talking about being in a, in a, in a theater in Brazil. And he said that the screen was out of focus and the people started chanting focus or foco, 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 foco. And and they're basically trying to get them to focus the, the screen and how much, you know, the angels in heaven and God himself must be saying that to us as he watches us go through things, focus, focus your mind on what is right. And what is good, because sometimes we know, you know, I was in an art class. I took an oil painting class a couple of years ago. And um, and one of the tricks he showed us was that really, he said, in your painting, you're only worried about 10% of it being crystal clear. The rest of it can get blurry and more and more blurry as it goes behind. It's part of depth perception. But I never really noticed it that a lot of these great paintings only a certain piece is focused, right? And the rest of it kind of blurs to the back. It's a beautiful painting, looks real, looks great. But it's not everything in it is detailed and focused. In fact, if you put too many, you focus on too many things, you're no longer focused. You're just kind of aware of everything. And so it is It is incredibly important to be able to focus on God, to be able to focus on Jesus, to focus our minds on Jesus. And you really see, especially when we're challenged, when we're going through difficult times, those that are that are able to remain focused on Jesus, how they get through tough times, how they handle adversity, how they handle when they're insulted or when they're disrespected or when they're hurt or when they're disappointed or when things are bad or how they handle suffering. All of those, much of that is determined by their focus, how they do walking through the valley of shadow of death. Focus. It makes all the difference in the world. So Hebrews, this is a very practical, very important piece of advice he gives us right at the beginning. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. 
whom we acknowledge as our apostle, the one that was sent to us by God, and our high priest, the one who brings us to God. So both the one that represents us to God and the one that represents God to us. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now remember, chapter 1, chapter 2, he's been making all these comparisons angels and prophets. And now he he makes a comparison to Moses. And we have to understand Moses was the man in Judaism. He is the man in Judaism. I mean, the Judaism is like the disciples of Moses, right? Moses is the great prophet. And Moses is the one that laid down the law, literally, that was given the law, laid it out. Moses is the one that basically created the Judaism that we understand and know. The Judaism of Torah, the Judaism of, of of the Tanakh, the Judaism that came down from the mountain. So Moses is an incredibly important figure in Judaism. You know, you could, I mean, it could be argued he's the most important person. Him and Abraham, basically, are the reason we have Judaism and we have Jews. And 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 here he is, he's saying Jesus is greater than Moses. And you have to understand, too, that Moses was a foreshadowing of Jesus. So Moses points the way to Jesus. There's many, many similarities between Moses and Jesus, right? Jesus, um, if, if you think about right, okay, right from the birth, you know, the, the, the Pharaoh was trying to kill all the babies and Moses had to flee, right? Or had to be hidden. Herod was trying to kill all the babies and Jesus had to be hidden, right? Um, Jesus had to flee to Egypt, right? Moses had to flee his land, Goshen, and was put in the Pharaoh's house, and then ended up having to flee Egypt as well. Jesus was sent to rescue his people, right? To rescue us, all of us, humanity. Moses was sent to the Israelites to rescue them. Moses was sent to set the slaves free. Jesus was sent to set us free. Moses was sent to get take them to the promised land. Jesus is sent to take us to heaven. And, and they go on and on and on. There's probably 20 more uh, similarities you can you can think of but 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 now here he is as great as Moses is Jesus is greater than Moses he says Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses just as the builder of the house is greater honor than the house itself for every house is built by someone but God is the builder of everything Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future but Christ is faithful as the son of God's house and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So he says, you know, basically, Moses may be the builder of the house, but Jesus is the house himself, you know. Or Moses helps, but Jesus is the owner, you know. And and he just keeps upping, one-upping Moses to show that they're, they're, they're not the same. Jesus is not just another great prophet. He is the he is the he's the man he's the one he's the savior and moses was really a precursor to him and and um serves as that bearing witness even to jesus by his life um but then he wraps up that whole th- that whole line of thought saying but christ is faithful as the son over god's house and we are his house and here's the thing about hebrews is, is he emphatically states wonderful things but then he always reminds us but you got to stay faithful. He says, we are his house. We are his house. We are God's house. 
That's awesome. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So if we hang in there, if we don't give up, and it's really he's setting us up for the next big warning, right? It's kind of like a volleyball player setting up for a spike. Okay, the spike's coming. Boom, it's been set up. What is the setup? If indeed we hold ourselves firmly with confidence to the very end, right? With the hope in which we glory. So then here comes the challenge. And here's the next warning, number two. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So he gives us the big warning. Basically he's saying, don't make the mistake the Hebrews made. Don't fall into the pit that they fell into. They hardened their hearts. And you got to remember, I mean, they were, God sent plagues. God sent pillars of fire. God sent all these incredible things to rescue the Hebrews from Egypt and to bring them out to his mountain and to, to, to set them up to be a prosperous nation. He did all this, all these miracles. But what happened when they got out in the desert, they started complaining. They got angry. There was no food. There was no water. There was, there was no plan. Remember at times they wanted to go back to Egypt and die. They wanted to go back to Egypt and be slaves again. How in the world would anybody think that's a good idea? They hardened their hearts. They hardened their hearts. And see, that's really important to understand is that, and we've all seen it, especially if you've been in the church for a very, for a very long, you've seen somebody who they become a Christian, they're excited, they're happy, they're so grateful. All these incredible things change in their lives. They're more loving, they're more kind, they're more confident that things are going well. And then something happens, they get hurt or something, and, and they go through a tough time, or somebody dies, and they don't understand why God let that happen, and they harden their hearts. And then they're saying, oh, I've been miserable since I've been in this church, and this is always this has been too hard, and I don't like this, and I've never been happy. And you're like, wait a second. You know, <laughs> you, you told me how happy you were. I remember you being happy. But their hearts have hardened which changes their perspective. Now everything was miserable. Now everything was hard. Now everything was unhappy. And that's what was happening to the Hebrews. And that's what can happen to any of us. And so the warning is don't do that. Don't let your heart harden in the time of testing. And, 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 this, and you have to understand that between Egypt and the promised land, it was a time of testing. So, Think about the analogies. This, it's all analogous, right? It's all an, analogies. So we understand that they were led out of Egypt. They crossed the desert. It was tough. It was hard. They were given the law of Moses. They, they became God's people. They sinned. They didn't trust him. They fell into sin. They didn't trust him to go into the promised land. Those people, remember, they died in the desert. 
And it was the next generation, 40 years later, right, that that got to go into the promised land. And they did go into the promised land. And so what's the analogy for us? That when we get baptized, we become God's people. We go through a time of testing, all of us, before our promised land. What's our promised land? It's heaven. So we're in the time of testing right now. So how you doing? How are you doing with your tests? How are you doing with your challenges? You know, and, and, and again, focus makes all the difference in the world. So my focus is on God. As the challenges come, I overcome them. As difficulties are laid before me, I rise above them. As, as, as hardship sets in, I can, I can overcome it. If my focus is God, if, if my focus is Jesus and nobody can take away my joy, nobody can take away my contentment, nobody. And you say, well, well, what if somebody hurts you? If somebody hurts you and you fall into bitterness, you've allowed that person to take your joy away and make you bitter. Don't do that. Don't let anybody don't let anybody control you. I taught my kids, don't let anybody decide who you're going to be. Don't let anybody push you into becoming something you don't want to be. You decide what you're going to be. And that's that's basically the warning here, is don't let your heart harden. Keep your heart soft. You decide what you're going to be. And he said, he said, it was a time of testing, and God never let them into the promised land. They died in the desert because of it, right? So he says in verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And it's what happens is, is we start out with this, this young, naive faith, which is beautiful. We just believe whatever God says. But we go through hardships and we go through difficulties and we start to get suspicious of God and we start to get cynical. And then the next step is our heart gets hard and then we just don't believe him anymore. We just don't believe. We hear promises, but we don't believe them. Or we even, and sometimes we can, we become deceived about it. We say amen and we say, yeah, that's true. I believe that, but not really. We're, we're practically atheists on a practical level. We act as though God's promises aren't going to be fulfilled. We, we, we take care of ourselves and you know, I'm going to get mine because nobody's going to give it to me. I got to go get mine. We don't trust God anymore. And and we can still say, praise the Lord, I love Jesus, and go to church and all that. But we're living like atheists, right? What is the sign of our faith? What we do, right? Do we depend on faith? It's, it's the old preacher story of when he calls them all together and says, okay, we got to pray and fast for this doubt, drought to break. We're going to pray for rain. And the only one who, and he gets up there and he looks down. I've told this story before. And he looks down and she says, she's the only one with faith this morning. And they says, why do you say that? Because she's the only one that brought an umbrella. And when you're living by faith, you do different things. You you're, you step out. You believe. If you believe that the, that the fields are ripe for harvest, you reach out to people. If you don't believe it, yeah, reach out to people. If you believe that by prayer works, then you pray. If you don't believe prayer works, you don't pray. It's just, oh, yeah, I didn't pray again today. And, you know, I'll pray tomorrow. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of Christians fall into practical atheists. They're just living as though God didn't exist. And the sad thing is that really there's no difference between their life and the guy next door because they're not really living any more faithful. Faithfulness is a lifestyle. 
right? But it all starts with focusing our minds on Jesus. He says, see to it, brethren, I have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. And here's, here's, this is really important. I think, I think especially right now, as we're going through a quarantine, we're now five months into this quarantine, March, April, May, June, July, and we're in August now. We're completing our fifth month now of being quarantined. And frankly, a lot of us are struggling with discouragement of just being in the house all the time. And then meanwhile, we're hearing all this horrible news and the world's tearing itself apart politically and bombs are going off and earthquakes and weird places and floods. I mean, it's just, wow, we need to be encouraging each other. We need to be, I mean, I appreciate it so much that at 7 a.m. this morning, Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m., I pray with Doug Weber. And we just encourage each other. And I need that. I need that. You need that. And he says, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, sin has a way of tricking us, has a way of of making us believe things that aren't true. And and you know, we think, oh, if I want to be happy, I just need to work more. I need to make more money. I need to do this. I need to do that. That's not true. And I'm not saying it's wrong to work more or wrong to make more money. That's not the point. The, but but to think that our happiness will come from these things, we, we that's where we really get deceived about what's really going to make me happy. What's really going to make us happy is God, but we don't look at him and we don't think that way. So we don't focus on him. If indeed we, he says, we have come to share in Christ. If indeed, and there's another if, we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. There's another, that other if, there's that if again. That if we hold the original conviction, what, what conviction he's talking about? He's talking about the conviction you had when you climbed in that baptistry. When you said Jesus is Lord, that conviction, you hang on to it and you keep trusting God to the very end. Well, when's the end? When's it end? It ends in your last breath. The last time that you exhale. And every one of us has a day. God knows the day. We don't know the day. God knows the day. There's a date on the calendar that's your last day. And there's a time on that day that's your last breath. If you hold your conviction to then, you get to share with Jesus. You get to share all the victories. You get to the promised land. You get to the holy reward in heaven. You get it all, the mansion in the sky. You get it with God. You get to be one with the creator of the universe. That's awesome. But we got to hold on. We got to stay faithful. We can't let the garbage of the world pull us into the dump. He says, today, as it's just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And of course, he's quoting the Old Testament, quoting different Psalms and Deuteronomy. He says, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that we that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He says, look, if God rescued them, saved them with plagues and miracles and pillars of fire and angels and mountains thundering and all this stuff, 
and he let them die in the desert, he can do the same to us. Who got to go to the promised land? Those who didn't give up their belief. Those who hung on to their faith. And that's the challenge to us. Hang on to your faith. Here's your homework. Write down what you believe. No, really, write down. I believe in one God. I believe in Jesus the Lord. I believe that God will reward his people. I believe that it's better to follow the Bible than to do anything else. I believe that if I follow Jesus, I will be rewarded in heaven. And then live by those beliefs. And make sure you apply them to all the situations that we get in, especially right now, in this time of testing. He says, if we hang on, God will reward us. But the warning is, don't fall into unbelief. So that's chapter three. That's the big warning. Good warning. Let's stay faithful. Let's, and we do that how? By fixing our thoughts on Jesus. God bless you. And that's enough for today. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 